Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins and Asai Calderon Muñiz. Welcome back to the AMC Podcast. I want to um, welcome everyone. This is kind of a big Jack week. Jack Weston MCAT Podcast. Wish we were the AMC Podcast. Did I say AMC? <laughs> oh my God. My brain is... <laughs> yes, I I just really the AMC is gonna be like when did we hire Phil um, and and his eye? Um, not that I'm saying that they shouldn't do that. They they probably should. Um, but um, this is a big week. I was thinking about the AMC stuff because the uh, opening for registration is this week, um, and so I know a lot of students are thinking about kind of registration. This is kind of the week where a lot of stuff becomes real becomes official becomes um like all of a sudden they've got a date picked and there's a a clock ticking down and so we wanted to spend some time today talking about how to study because um like i said it gets real for a lot of students around this time and i think that there are a lot of times that students are studying in ways that are not effective or less effective than it could be um and i don't want to speak for other people but this is the thing that is hardest about the MCAT, or at least was for me. And it's also the thing that was hardest about med school was just mm-hmm. the volume. And so figuring out how to study effectively and be able to learn more in less time became the name of the game. And so if you can figure out ways to study that are going to shorten that time frame where I can learn this now in one day instead of three, or um, I can learn it in one day instead of like learning in one day and then forgetting it like two weeks later. And like, I actually have to re go back and re hit it again. Um, and so I want to kind of, we want to kind of talk about some of this stuff because it's something that's really, really important. I feel like it's, it's less important earlier in your career, but when like you get to the, when the scopes get so big, when you get to the MCAT and med school, um, there's so much stuff, the volume becomes the problem that's when like having better strategies becomes not just useful, but necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You're going to be bombarded with information as you continue in your career. And that's, that can be really scary. Right. And I think two things from that first, it's important to recognize that yes, that is true. And there will be information that it will take you longer to learn. You're going to be exposed to it later and that's okay. That's why Medicine is a lifelong learning process, but also that there are ways to tackle learning so that it doesn't constantly feel like drinking out of a fire hydrant, right? Like drinking out of a hose on full power. Um, And so we're going to talk about some of the different ways to study effectively that honestly, Phil, I'm I'm sure you are in line with this, but just really wish I would have known that when I started med school Uh, would have been really nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And a lot of this comes down to this active versus passive learning. Um, I, I I know I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but I don't mention it that often. Um, a big portion of my research as part of my MD-PhD side of things was in memory. Um, and I remember when I was going to med school and in the first semester of med school, I was really kind of struggling to just keep up with the volume where I was going to class all day. I was studying for like six eight hours outside of that, which left me like, you know, six hours for sleep after that um, because I needed to consume food because turns out that's important. Um, And like, I just didn't have more time. Like there's no, there was no way for me to, like if I was struggling, I couldn't be like, oh, I just need to spend more time studying because like all the time was spent. Um, And what I was doing is I was like watching the lectures, rewatching the lectures um, because they were recorded. I was kind of like reading through the books. Um, My notes, my handwriting is pretty, pretty (laughs) ugly looking. Um, And I had a um, a friend in med school was like, oh, you just want to use my notes Um, because she made really beautiful notes. I like commented once like, this is so pretty. And she's like, yeah, I can just send these to you if you want them. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And so what I was doing was kind of like going through all this material, but it was all passive um, where I was looking at stuff that other people had done. I was not organizing the information in my head. I was just taking in the information as it was being thrown at me. And I was really struggling that first semester. 
I went, I remember I talked to my PI, this person who was helping me kind of do the research that I was working on. And I was saying like, I just don't know how I can learn any faster. Um, he asked me what I was doing and I explained to him all the stuff that I was spending my time on. And he was just like laughing. He's like, you know better. Like we do research on this topic. Like every single thing you just listed was a passive learning thing. You need to be active. Um, and so like I made a switch after that first semester of med school and I was able to study instead of like six, eight, 10 hours a day, like four to six hours. And so all of a sudden I had more time and perhaps more importantly, I was doing better even though I was spending less time studying. Um, and that, that was a big game shift, uh, for me. Like it kind of shifted the way that I kind of approached stuff. Um, and I see that sort of stuff a lot with students who are prepping for the MCAT. That seems sort of similar, like, like it's, I can get through more material faster if I'm passive, but then you have to keep going over it again and again, and it doesn't stick because you need to make sure that what you're studying today will, sh will like be in your head four months from now. And that is, that's something very different than what's going on in undergrad and in most students' um, educational career. 110% agree. Cramming is very often associated with passive studying mm -hmm. beforehand and during the cramming. And so, yes, cramming can get you through some exams in undergrad. Cramming will not get you through mm -hmm. um, the MCAT, being very yeah. frank, right? It is a marathon, not a sprint. And just because this isn't the focus of this podcast episode, but I still want, I think it merits saying, making sure that, like you pointed out, Phil, in your, in your story and your experience, getting enough sleep is incredibly important. You yeah. will not retain as much if you are cramming or going into the wee hours of the night and not sleeping. You're not going to retain as much if you're not fueling your body correctly. And rather than gasoline, let's stick to uh, food, <laughs> water, um, and things like that making sure that you're exercising. It feels like you a little bit to get that one. Yeah. No, um, I'm just thinking of some of the things I was doing that first semester. I'm like, oh, those were some bad decisions. Um, and the thing is, they're, they're reflex decisions for a lot of us because we're like, okay, I, I'm not getting through the material effectively. I need more time. Where can I take that time from? Right? Yeah. And then those foods that are not necessarily the healthiest tend to have really strong impacts on our reward pathway. <laughs> <laughs> right? Sugar being a huge one. And so it's really easy to get into these habits that actually hurt us. And so that exercising right movement, I just wanted to pitch all of that before we start talking about the nitty gritty types of uh, ways that we'll study just because it's not the focus and it might not come back up otherwise. But yeah, I do. I do want to mention, I don't think we've ever talked about this as I. And so this is this is probably the first Ooh. time you're hearing this. But I was so like, I need to study more and I don't have time. And so I was really trying to figure out ways to find an extra hour or two. Um, and so I did a bunch of research into like sleeping and sleep schedules. And it turns out that it's, talked about this. it's it's better to sleep. And so like in terms of like performance on a short term, if you only have like four hours of sleep, it's better to sleep for two hours and then take a break and then sleep for two hours. They call it a polyphasic sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I actually was doing that where I'm like, I need time to study. So I would sleep from like midnight to two, get up and study for three hours and then sleep from five to seven. Um, and like, I need, like, I, I literally am trying to find time. And, um, honestly that ended up making things worse, um, after this, but like, I was just in this scenario where I did, wasn't, I wasn't efficient at all in bringing in information, I was bringing lots of information, but none of it was sticking, which is something that probably some students out there can relate to this. Um, but it was a major issue for me. And I was I was doing some very extreme things to try to fix this, but I wasn't going in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. And just to just in case anyone heard that first part and we're like, oh, I'm going to try this at the end. Phil said that it did not go. Well. No. So to be clear, this is not something that is long term helpful or helpful no. in the long term, I should say. Um, so kind of diving into thinking about the different ways that we can study, the first that we're going to be talking about are flashcards. And flashcards can be a very divisive topic, actually. Some people absolutely love flashcards, swear by them. Others are 
well, this is not super helpful. I've never used them. I've never found them helpful. Um, there are different times and places, so to speak, where flashcards can be helpful. So yeah. there are a couple of different branching points that we're going to talk about with flashcards. The first is if you create your own versus you use one that is all a deck that is already made. So if you have the time, making one yourself is more active because you are producing the material, assuming that you're not copying and pasting, right? Because if you're copying right. and pasting, you're back in passive. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the first thing. That said, and that can be typed, that can be handwritten, but the idea is if you are producing and synthesizing the information to form this new deck that is specific to your needs, it's going to be more active. A lot of people don't have time for that, or they're not sure where to start. And so a lot of people will also use um, pre-made decks. Now, if you just go and you just read these, that's passive, right? That is not going to be as helpful. You would want to do something with this information. You would want to, instead of just, sometimes what can happen is, yes, we ask ourselves, but rather than really trying to answer the question or really think about the definition, we just flip the card to yeah. read it. And that's passive, right? But if you really push, if you really try and think, okay, you know, well, this makes me think of this other topic. Um, and so actually I can get the answer and you create something, you're actually moving into the active phase of studying. And so how you use this resource is more important, I would argue, than just using it or not using it. The second yeah. thing is, um, oh, go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely right. I was just like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the second thing that you want to think about is how often or how consistently you're using these. So if you're using the flashcards once a week, right, and starting at different places, it's not going to be as helpful. Whereas if you're using it for spaced repetition, right, it is going to be more helpful because you're going to be seeing the material um, at eventually increasingly longer um, spaces and more spaced out, but starting off closer. So that way, that um, curve of, of forgetting, right? So we're, <laughs> if you don't know what that is, look it up. Um, you, you do need to know that for the impact. Yeah. But, um, you know, you're going to forget the material faster if you've only seen it a few times. Whereas if you've seen it a number of times, you're going to remember it better, especially when you see it more frequently at first, and then you lengthen the time between seeing the material towards the end, although never quite ends, right? Yeah. Um, this, this learning process. And so that's also another really important consideration when you're thinking about how you're going to use flashcards. Now, I do want to recognize that not everyone meshes well with flashcards, and that's okay. I know people who got through um, anatomy in med school using flashcards. I could not for me. <laughs> so Phil, me. you are one of them. <laughs> me, yes. Um, that did not work for me. That wasn't integrative enough for me. That was too isolated. And it was a lot tougher for me to learn that way. I need to see those connections from the beginning for me to be able to retain the information. And so you also have to think about how you learn. And when we're talking about all of these different things, it's important for you to think about what has worked for you not just in the past, but when you're studying for the MCAT. Because remember, you're studying for something differently now. And so just because it didn't work in the past or just because it did work in the past doesn't mean the same holds true. Now, um, I know I've talked a lot. There's one more thing I want to no, say, but... Go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, and then um, with flashcards, something else to think about is when in your study process you use them. So these are really great for content. They are not so great for trying to reason the way you do with an AMC question, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're in the content phase of your MCAT prep, which we talked about in the prior um, podcast episode, yeah. then this is a great opportunity to integrate flashcards, especially if folks are using flashcards for cars vocab, for example, that's something that you want to get started with early. If you're using them um, to help just remind yourself of equations, um, we're going to talk about another resource that I personally really love for things like that. But this is a place where you can start integrating that. When you're primarily doing questions and in that application um, and practice phase of your MCAT studying, this isn't going to be as helpful, right? You should be reviewing to maintain rather than reviewing to learn at that point. And so those are kind of those three branching points and three main buckets that I want us to think about when flashcards come to mind. Yeah, I do kind of like this active versus passive thing, it's always important to, to like understand how are you going to be tested on this? 
The MCAT is not a vocab test, like yep. by design. It is not trying to like just connect the words. And I think that's how a lot of times students study with flashcards <laughs> is they're like, oh, like they're just like connecting words, but they're not necessarily understanding how those things are related. Right. So they'll like, like have a flashcard that says the glomerulus of the kidney. And on the other side, it'll say cells and proteins because um, those are the things that like it's separating from the rest of the the blood. Um, and if you just think like glomerulus sells proteins and like students will like connect those two super well, um, that is, I mean, you are, you do know something now, um, but like have it, reviewing that flashcard isn't going to help you as much if you don't understand why that's important and what's going on with that. Because the MCAT's not going to ask you, like, what does the glomerulus deal with? Um, what they're going to ask you is, if you have a glomerular kidney disease and you have proteinuria, how is that going to affect swelling in the legs, right? And like the idea there is like if you're peeing out proteins, you have less proteins in your blood, which means you have less stuff in your blood. So your blood's going to become hypotonic. And so water's going to want to leave your blood and go into your tissues. And so you start to get like swelling in your legs and hands because your glomerulus is not keeping the proteins in your blood. And like, that's how the MCAT's going to test this. And I think very often students, when they're doing flashcards, are so focused on, like, I'm just connecting these words together, but it's not necessarily that understanding. And so that's one of the reasons it's, I, I think it's generally a lot better to build your own flashcards because it forces you to think about, like, how, like, what's going on here? Rather than using flashcards someone else has built, oftentimes students will just connect words. Now, it is useful. Like if they say like, what's the equation for resistance? And you like, oh, resistance is resistivity times length over area. And like that, like that's actually kind of useful because that is just a fact sort of thing that you need to be able to understand. Um, so there are times and places for those. I find flashcards tend to work really well, especially with equations, just trying to get those down. Um, a lot of times students still need some help trying to figure out when to use what equations because the MCAT like comes at things from weird angles. I'll, I often feel like psych also works pretty well with that, but you have to be really yeah. careful to like apply it because the MCAT's never giving, we're going to ask you like, what's the definition of functionalism? Like they never ask for definitions. It's all application of things. And so if you are making your flashcards, I would encourage you to focus more on the application of like, what is this thing and what does it mean Right. And like, how would it be used? So like, so like focusing a little bit more on examples than definitions, because that's how the MCAT's going to test you is, can you apply this term, not do, have you memorized the definition? Um, a lot of times the MCAT like sets up almost traps where like everyone like memorizes this term and then they ask you about that term and like you have these connections together. And then in the answers, they'll use the word, but in the wrong context. And so if you're just connecting words, you're going to pick the wrong answer. But it's because that's by design, because the MCAT's trying to test to see, do you conceptually understand this rather than just connecting words together? Um, there is, I, I think flashcards are nice because there's a very clear dopamine feedback loop reward system of like, yeah, I got it right. Next flashcard. Yeah, I got it right. And like, it's, it's, it's really rewarding. Um, like under like, you know, like a definition of like reward in the reward system in the brain. And so it keeps students engaged. It can help students stay motivated. But a lot of times I will see students like continually doing, continually doing tons of flashcards over and over because they have this reward system and it feels good, but it's not actually helping them as much because they're focusing on kind of the wrong aspect of it. Um, don't get me wrong. I love flashcards. Um, flashcards got me through anatomy and physiology. I had a flashcard stack, like handmade flashcards that was like two or three feet tall. Um, and like, that's how I made it through that. Um, but like understanding how the MCAT's going to test you and connecting those things to how you're studying is, is definitely important. Yeah. And super quick, this doesn't, flashcards do not replace other forms of content learning. Flashcards yeah. do not replace AMC or um, general MCAT practice, right? This yeah. is not a replacement. It is a supplement. Really yeah. important to say that. Yeah. Now, when you have like more complicated, like 
like what I was saying before, like if you're if they're asking you, like, what's the equation for resistance? That's one thing. Right. Flashcards are really good for that. But if they ask, like, how does the kidney work? And like, that's a much more conceptual thing that often kind of like like understanding kind of how everything works together and fits together and kind of works as a as as a unit when you put all the pieces together. Um, that's a little bit more of a complex idea. And that often is hard to kind of get from just like a flashcard. Um, so that's where a lot of times like videos and like books and those things are useful. And I know that I was saying like just reading books and watching videos was like passive and that's what we want to stay away from. That doesn't mean like videos and reading is like not useful as in some ways it might be like one of the most useful things you can do for certain topics. Um, especially when you have complex relationships between things. The key there, though, is to not just sit and be passive while you're taking that in. Um, being more active, like taking notes, um, creating review guides and things like that. We'll talk about that more as as we kind of go along. I think that those are really important. Um, and also, like videos and books can help you connect topics together a lot better. Um, that's something that we do, like I do in the course, like in the lectures, like when we talk about how does a battery work, like in that lecture, we also talk about the electron transport chain because like that's something that you can connect to it, that the AMC will connect to it. Um, and so like if you were just looking at a flashcard, it might not be obvious that like, oh, like the electron transport chain kind of functions as a galvanic cell where this like spontaneous process is providing us energy without us like losing energy into that system. Like if we lost energy doing the electron transport chain, that would be useless. So it's definitely not an electrolytic cell. And if you guys are confused on that, definitely come to like a free trial session or, um, you know, get into the course. I know we let students enter the course for five days for free. So just hop in and watch that video on the electrochemical, the electrochemistry section. But like videos are useful for that, for like understanding like complex scenarios and connections between topics. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really key differentiator, right? The complexity of the topic yeah. will affect how you study that topic. Um, and yeah, making it active is very, very important. And taking notes, pausing and taking notes is not the only way to make it active, right? Pausing and asking yourself questions, mini quizzing yourself, um, having that curiosity while you're listening and asking just questions in general can be a form of active studying because you're engaging with the material beyond just absorbing the material. And that's really the key differentiator between active and passive studying, right? And so finding ways to make it active can be very helpful. Um, I was going to talk about this with our, and this can actually serve as a segue because I think it applies to both, um, but there's a way to make yourself stay more engaged with material that you are passively absorbing um, that comes in the form of doodling. <laughs> and so we're just having a conversation on this, Phil, because I just thought it was so, so fun. Um, there was a study in 2009, um, 40 people were uh, told to listen to this really dull two and a half minute boring voicemail. And they didn't know that their memory was going to be tested afterwards. And some of them were just listening to this voicemail and others were doodling. They were shading in this shape when they were listening to the voicemail. And the folks that were uh, doodling while they were listening to the voicemail remember 29% more information. So I don't like when numbers and percentages are presented that, this might sound really weird, but that accurately because it's a little harder for us to conceptualize. But that's somewhere between one out of four, you know, pieces of information versus one out of three pieces of information extra compared to folks that didn't, right? And so that's pretty useful. Um, you know, I know we had conversations about how this is related to, to how <laughs> our brains work, um, but this does not mean that you go and you start splitting your attention between different things. So this does not mean you're watching a video and doing flashcards, right? Not the same thing as watching a video and then letting your hand do what it wants on a piece of paper. That's going to help our brain stay kind of on and help us retain information better. But we are not supposed to be splitting, right? Actively splitting our attention. So something really important to keep in mind there. But that's something that can help with videos and the next um, kind of study form that we're going to talk about. And it looks like you might have 
something to chime in. No, no, it's just super interesting. And I think I've, man, I'm talking a lot about myself here, um, but I guess that's <laughs> kind of the the power of a podcast um, or the usefulness of that is you get like actual like anecdotal stuff. Um, so I have ADHD and a lot of times I'll have trouble focusing on like sometimes even just conversations um, unless I can like fidget with my, my hand or something. Uh, it's something that I've gotten in um, I, I want to say in trouble, but like I've found myself like surprise surprising myself occasionally with things like that. Um, when I whenever I did like big lectures, um, there are times I would lecture in front of like 300 students, um, in different places. I taught at Lake Forest and Creighton and a couple of other places. Um, but whenever I would I would teach, I would have like a a marker in my hand and I would constantly just like click it back and forth. And I know that that is so, so that annoys a lot of people. Um, and but I didn't even realize I was doing it mm -hmm. um, until one day I went to grab something and my hand. I'm like, oh, like I felt like someone just shot me in the hand and I had bruised my thumb <laughs> from clicking for like because I was teaching lectures like sometimes like a couple back to back. And so it'd be like four <laughs> hours of teaching. And so it's just four hours of me clicking pins back and forth. I didn't even realize it until the next day. But for something about like doing something with my hand helps my brain engage more actively in the things that I'm doing. Um, but I really want to reiterate what you were saying of like, don't split attention. Um, a lot of times I'll talk to students and they'll be like, oh, like, no, I, I like to watch YouTube videos while I'm studying. Like that is the most passive thing you <laughs> could be doing first off. And secondly, you are also splitting attention. And so that is going to make things in general much worse. And like, I, there's always anecdotal stories where students are like, no, no, it works much better for me. And I'm like, eh. I have, I have doubts um, because not that I doubt students' stories, but I just generally doubt anecdotal stuff over experimental stuff. Um, like if we have hard data and like this has been done with like a hundred students or 40 students or things like that, and we've experimentally shown that generally people are better at this, um, I tend to kind of get behind that a little bit more. Um, and so there is some results to show that that when you're splitting attention, you're generally going to have a harder time retaining stuff. But strangely enough, doing something that is pure physical can help with that. Um, that's why I also kind of liked listening to like lectures and things while walking, um, because that allows like I'm just kind of like thinking through this stuff, but my body is still kind of active. Um, now, I know a lot of times students like to listen to music while they're studying. And there is like a part of me understands this. So I grew up on a farm and like I was like constantly used to like animals and like noises and and like, you know, chickens and roosters crowing and cows and just, you know, I had a bunch of siblings and like anytime <laughs> I studied, it was it was constant chaos around me. Um, and then when I went to college, I had a harder time like sitting in a library in a quiet room studying, like it just, it felt like the quietness was oppressive almost. And like, I couldn't, like it kind of, I couldn't kind of get engaged in the topic because I I needed something um, out, some auditory thing outside of that. Um, I really find it useful personally. Um, and this is free, like anybody can use this if they feel like that might help them. But I really like to listen to specifically video game music. Um, because music for video games is designed to be something that is going to keep you engaged in the tasks that you're doing, but not withdraw your attention to paying attention to words. And so that's why most video game music doesn't have words, because words and ideas and thoughts that can draw your attention away from things. Um, and so having, if you feel like you need some noise, like listening to like video game music without words and things like that can help you kind of like still have that auditory thing kind of going on. But um, it's actually really interesting way if you ever want to dive into that, because they're usually these kind of like building things to keep you engaged and energized and focused and keep you moving forward. Because um, there's a lot of music that will like kind of like calm. And so like it's specifically designed to push you forward and make you like engaged, but also not distract you. Um, and I found that personally pretty useful. I love that you brought up music. It was something I wanted to talk about as well, because it's something I think that a lot of people are recognizing has the potential to be useful or harmful um, <laughs> when studying. And there's, I don't know how familiar you are with the different color of noises. It's like white noise, pink noise, brown yeah. noise, green noise. 
purple noise I recently found out about. Um, but there are some, they all have slightly different, you know, frequencies that they're they're playing out, um, the different noise colors. And some have been shown to be helpful with um, or potentially helpful with learning and studying things like that because they're, you know, highlighting different frequencies. They might be able to block out different types of noise. So if you are in you know, a place that is otherwise noisy, you might be able to use some of those uh, noise colors to help um, with the the sound in the area. And I've actually found that helpful when I'm at the public health school. The study area is more of a kind of collective open study area, whereas at the med school, they have these kind of individual cubicles in addition to the more open areas. So you're having a little bit more conversation. And I have personally found it really helpful for blocking out some of those conversations because I really want to stay focused, but I don't have the opportunity for an individual cubicle study area there. Um, and so that's something that can be helpful as well. Um, you want to be careful, um, kind of what you were to your point about music that is uh, very activating and has words. Um, there are times where if we're really comfortable with songs or we're really familiar with them, they're very upbeat. Even the instrumental can get us sidetracked. And so you really want to be careful about what kind of music you're listening to. That said, for cars, turn that off. <laughs> for cars, turn that off, right? Because cars is the section that is most responsive to any sort of outside um, kind of outside influence, your mental state, things like that. You want to replicate cars for the most part, how you'll be feeling on test date in that scenario. So month before your test day, there should be zero music that you're listening to when you're doing cars. Now, if you're five months out from test day, you're in a loud, li loud library, what a, what a <laughs> you, that's a different story, right? But very, very important. I have very strong feelings about that with cars specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just kind of trying to replicate what is going on on test day is important when you're doing practice. Exactly. And that's what you're doing with cars. Like mm -hmm. there's no studying for cars. Like you don't need to, I need to go read up on Richard VIII because there's, <laughs> I might see a passage on it. Like that's not a thing. But if you're studying, that maybe makes a little bit more sense because you're not going to be studying on the day of the MCAT. And so like there's a little bit of a separation there between practice. I definitely would like try to mimic that as well when you're taking practice exams or doing practice yeah. passages. Like that's a scenario where I probably wouldn't be listening to music or or other things. I'm trying to just emulate that actual practice in and of itself. Absolutely. So I know we had so much we wanted to talk about and we, <laughs> we focused on this so much. I don't know if we're going to get through all of it, honestly. Um, but the next thing is when we're reading a textbook. So reading textbooks can, again, like videos, be really helpful in scenarios where there are more complex topics where we need that guidance to help us navigate a lot more connections um, and figuring out how things work. That how question is yeah. much better answered with a video, with a textbook, than with a flashcard, right? Yeah. Um, but again, like videos, like all of what we've talked about so far, it leans towards inherently passive, right? And it lends itself to something that a lot of us do, which is um, highlighting, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but the act of just reading a textbook in and of itself is passive, and so there are other things that we would need to pair reading a textbook with in order to be helpful. There's also, I, I know a lot of you guys perhaps can um, can relate to this. Textbooks and I don't do well together. Similar to how uh, flashcards and I don't do well particularly together if I'm learning more complex material. I'm someone that is very visual and videos tend to be a lot more helpful, whether it's there are images on the screen that relate to what's going on or even just watching someone talk about mm -hmm. a topic can be very helpful. But I tend to glaze over when I am reading a textbook. It is a lot harder for me to stay engaged. And even though both of those have the potential to be passive, for me, I am more engaged with videos. And so it's important to recognize this in ourselves so that we're finding what is most effective and efficient when we're studying. I'm also just a slower reader um, in general. It's really hard for me to get through all of the assigned readings for school sometimes. And so it's I can get through a video and listen to someone talk a lot faster and still be engaged. I just grew up around people who talk fast um, compared to a textbook. Yeah. And that's that's a real thing. I think probably everyone can relate to that at some point when you read something, even if you're engaged in it. Like 
you just read a paragraph like I don't really remember yes. what was going on with that yes. and like that like having to read and reread something over and over and like that that's a problem if if that's happening while you're studying you are not gaining anything out of that mm -hmm. um, and so there are times when I'll have like a student who's like I just need to get through this chapter and then I'll be good and like I, and they're like they're just like sprinting through the words but they're not actually thinking about or organizing any of that information in their head they're not being active at all and so like they're going to finish that chapter and then they're not going to remember any of it. Like a point where sometimes it's as bad as where you can, they can read it and they can be like, what did that say? And like, uh, I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay, that's a problem. That even sometimes happens to students during exams, during like, well, practice where they read a paragraph and they're like, I didn't retain or pull anything from that. Um, and so that's something like, even if you don't like practicing with textbooks, it is a useful skill is to like, be able to read and stay engaged in something because that's what you need to be able to do on test day. And sometimes that's one of the reasons the MCAT's so hard is you're seven hours into this exam and you're still reading passages and it's just like everything's swimming and nothing's sticking. And so having some, some skills you've developed for kind of dealing with that can be useful. Now, for me personally, I really liked highlighting in textbooks, especially when I was in med school. Um, and just keeping my brain engaged in that. It's kind of a, like, organizing the information in my head and kind of thinking about how to organize that in and of itself was, like, kind of the most important part. Um, but that also scratches that itch of, like, I need some my hands to kind of be busy also. And so what I would do when I was reading a textbook is um, I would have, like, multiple different highlighters in front of me. And this is after I like started studying more actively after that first semester. Um, I would start, start to study more actively and I would start to color code things. And like, for example, if we're talking about like pharmacology, like anytime it was a like the, the name of a drug that's highlighted in pink, the side effects are highlighted in yellow, the mechanism of action is in green. And like just going through this, it all of a sudden became much more easy, much easier for me to organize that information in my head. Um, and it kept me active in it so that after even like after an hour of going through this, I'm still like actively hunting for like, where, where's the mechanism of action for this drug? And like, I realize I don't have that. It's not in this textbook, but I know they're going to ask me about that. So I need to find some information on how this drug works, um, so that I can, can have that information. And like, I, if I was just reading, like I never, like passively, I never would have realized like, oh, I don't know how this drug works. Um, and that, but like by going through it in this way, like I was organizing the information in my head and like the gaps became clear to me. And so be thinking about like, how is the MCAT going to test you on this stuff? And like, if you can highlight things in ways that work that way, that that's great. Um, and like, you might even, you could even like highlight, like, I want things related to amino acids. I'm going to like highlight that and like, I'm going to add like a pink stripe to it because anything I can connect to amino acids is going to be higher yield because amino acids get asked about all the freaking time. Yeah. Um, and so that's just a way to, to kind of like keep you active and engaged in that process um, that ends up working a whole lot better than just sitting and passively like, I got to read these books. I got to read these chapters. And like, if you're not gaining anything out of that, then like, yeah, you got through that chapter fast, but you wasted all the time that you were doing that chapter with. Um, so it's not, you're not going faster, you're going slower. Um, even though you finish the chapter faster, like if you highlight, it will slow you down, but you understand it, which is the actual goal. You don't get graded on, did you finish reading the chapter? If you, if yes, you get an A, if not, then you get a, like an F. Um, you get graded on for the MCAT. It's also weird mixed metaphor where it's not A and F and that sort of thing. But you get graded <laughs> on how well you understand things. Um, and so that's how you need to be um, guiding and building your study. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize when highlighting is helpful and when it isn't. Um, the act of highlighting itself, just without going into how you described it, Phil, is passive, right? Just sitting down and highlighting is passive. You turned it into something active by color yeah. coding, by organizing the information as you're reading and going in and highlighting in different colors. It's important to recognize that a lot of students will lean towards highlighting for the cars section. Mm -hmm. And it, this is often reflexive because a lot of us highlight in undergrad, a lot of us highlight in our sciences. Um, I I was someone that could have 
could have highlighted the entire textbook if you let me, honestly. <laughs> um, I, things were just turning to yellow blocks because everything seemed important, right? And so if I'm highlighting what's important, there's a bunch that I'm going to be highlighting. And that in and of itself is not helpful, right? Um, but if you're having a system in like the sciences where you're trying to learn content and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I organize this? That color coding is really important. It's important to recognize that if you're not going to be that systematic about it, there are other ways to turn reading into a more active, um, into a more active format that might be better fit. And so taking notes, taking separate notes while you're reading or after you read can be really great ways to stay engaged and stay active. So for example, maybe in this is blurring the lines into something else we're going to talk about, but it all kind of connects. Um, let's say that you're reading through and you're in you know, pharmacology and you're reading uh, drugs and mechanisms of action and side effects, you might be someone that benefits from having a table of all of those rather than just highlights to come back to. And so you might pause after you read the um, that paragraph on you know, uh, a statin, right? Um, and you write out the name, you write out the mechanism, you write out the side effects from what you remember after just having read it. And that's a way to turn that into an active form of studying as well. Now, if you just copy and paste, right, that's passive. You're not creating anything new. You're not organizing the information. You're not um, summarizing kind of in your own words. And so we want to be very cautious about that. But that's another way that you can make it active. If you're doing that more frequently, that's something else that can help you stay engaged, kind of scratches that uh, movement itch for a lot of people Again. as well. And the question is, are you going to come back? To these highlights or not. Because if you're going to come back to them, then highlighting that first pass, even if it's not color-coded, can be helpful. If you're not going to go back to it and you're highlighting on that first pass, the question is how helpful is that actually going to be? And so I suspect, Phil, even when you were doing your highlighting, that you would sometimes go back to what you highlighted. Yeah. So that's exactly what I would do is just kind of like putting those two things together as I would highlight these with the kind of like the color coding. And then to make it even more active, I would then take that and turn it into a table. And I would be going through like, oh, here are all the diuretics and I'm going to put all the potassium sparing diuretics together and like, let's list all the side effects and the mechanism of action and like this one, mechanism of action and like the, the side effects. And so it literally was me going to this textbook and organizing the information in my head. And I know um, there... There's a couple people that are popping into my mind um, that I know from like outside real real life, uh, outside the realm of the MCAT that kind of hate this process because what happens, what would happen with me even is I would go through this and I would make the table. And then as soon as I finished the table, I'd be like, there was a better way to organize this. <laughs> um, and like, there's, there's, this is how I should have done it this way instead. And so I know a lot of times students are like kicking themselves because they're like, what if I build the table wrong? What if I don't do it correctly? And like, I, it, it would be easier for me to just go find a table and copy that table down and just rewrite that table. And like, yes, that is faster. But the fact that I was like organizing this information so well in my head that I was thinking about it and realizing like, mm, I think there are a couple of better ways to organize this information. Like that means I understand it, right? Because I am like, I've organized it, but I also know there's other ways to organize this information. And like the fact of going through that, like even if my table is not the perfect great table that it could be, this, like I understand this stuff and it is sticking with me because I'm thinking so critically about it. Um, I really encourage people to, to do that sort of stuff, especially with things like, you know, in this case, we're talking about pharmacology, but connected to the MCAT, like hormones. Like a okay. table of hormones, where does a hormone come from? What does a hormone do? Like, where does it act? Um, like, all of those are things that students, like, creating your own table, that's probably the best way to get that information to stick long term. Um, now, that being said, having other tables to reference and to look at can be incredibly useful. Um, <laughs> I do want to point out that we do have review guides, like quick sheets um, of different things. Um, and so those of you who are, you know, kind of like listening to the podcast, if you want a copy of those, you can hop into our Facebook group um, where where we have those. And like there's no um, you just kind of like try to hop into the Jack Weston Facebook group and you will get in and we have all of our quick sheets in there. Um, and so like you don't have to pay for a course or anything for those things. Um, but we do. I, I do want to kind of like 
also reiterate that making your own stuff is really useful. Um, and so if, if you have the time and the ability, I really recommend that. Um, honestly, that, that, that was, that was the game changer for me when I was in med school. And I wished I would have picked up on that much earlier. Yeah. And so just kind of recapping, because the the three things we've talked about all go hand in hand, right? <laughs> Highlighting um, while reading, uh, taking notes while reading, and then creating guides or sheets that you can reference later for review. So if you just highlight, if you just copy and paste, if you're typing um, notes, if you just rewrite the exact thing that is in the textbook onto your sheet of paper, that is passive right? Organizing while you read and color coding your highlights, that's active. Making a table, you know, in the moment or afterwards is active. Making those review guides afterwards or taking your notes um, while you're reading in your own words, um, while still being true, right, to the material um, is more active. And so you can pair those uh, to be even more active and get uh, even more out of the material. And if it's material that, like you're talking about, Phil, hormones, right, science, you're memorizing and also making those connections, it's helpful to have that at the beginning, put in that effort, and then be able to use those tables, those notes, those review sheets that you've made to study. And yeah. so I'm a very big proponent of review sheets, and I know you kind of already touched base a little bit on that. Um, but one of the reasons I think they're really powerful is that you can change, You can they're very versatile in how you can study with them. So for example, you could use them as makeshift flashcards. Put your hand over part of your review sheet, right? So let's say that you made a review sheet on enzymes. It was one of my favorite things that I made a review sheet for when I was studying and that I would have my students um, do when I was tutoring. And okay, so what is an enzyme? Cover the definition, say the definition out loud because that you're going to hear yourself, right? And that activates a different part of your brain than just sitting and reading. And I don't know about you, Phil, but when I talk through things out loud, I can figure out, wait a second. So do I actually know this? Or maybe I'm not as comfortable. I'm also someone, though, that will lose the words I want to use very frequently. And so it just kind of happens, and I'm okay with it at this point. Um, but if something rolls off the tongue immediately, I'm like, oh, either I've seen this a bunch of times, I'm in a better men you know, mental headspace, um, or it's something that I'm insanely comfortable with or insanely passionate about. And so those are ways that you can gauge not just your comfort, but actually how well you understand something. And you'll pick up on some of those same gaps that you were talking about uh, with, you know, the, the medications and not knowing the mechanisms when you're talking out loud. This is also something that you can hand to somebody else and say, hey, can you do mind quizzing me? Right. Just that make sure that I talk about the different types of enzyme inhibition and make sure that I hit those key points there um, on a review sheet. You can have you know, building off of the equations so that this is what I was referencing to that there's something else I like, because for me, I need to make sure I know when to apply those equations, not just um, what they are. And since I don't <laughs> tend to use flashcards very much, I would incorporate the uh, equations into a review sheet and have examples and units. Units are your yeah. friend because there are times where you can answer a question based off of units, which is huge, right? And so um, that's another way to use review sheets and talking through them out loud, handing them to someone else. So they're very versatile. There are a lot of different ways that you can use review sheets in addition to passively reviewing them on the bus ride or the car ride to class um, <laughs> or, you know, during your lunch break. Um, but there are different ways that you can use review sheets and a lot of them are active. And so the process of creation can be is very often active. The process of review should be active. And that auditory component um, can be really helpful. You don't need a review sheet to talk to somebody and ask, you know, to explain yeah. something to them. But it's just nice for them to have it to reference, especially if they are not in the MCAT and pre-med world. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. I, I, I find that almost more useful sometimes. You, like if if you're talking to somebody who knows all about the science and the MCAT, like you'll just use the words so like normally. But if they ask know. like if if like my mom or somebody else asked me like, hey, like you have a thing here about ele the electromagnetic spectrum. And like, if I can explain that to her, then I understand it, right? Um, because I'm able to like, like use different terms and like speak about it a little bit differently rather than like how I would like, you know, oscillations of electric and magnetic fields. I'm like, okay, well, 
there's these fields that oscillate. That's actually what light is. And so the elect electromagnetic radiation is just another name for light. And so there's light that's lower frequency, higher frequency. There's the middle, which is visible. And that's why we have different colors. But outside that, we can't see it. So like a dog whistle, we can't hear that because it's too high frequency. There's that stuff like that with light. And that's what like UV rays and X-rays and gamma rays are. And like, if I can explain that, then um, I'm, I'm in a good spot. And I would actually encourage students, like there are going to be some topics where you are, you're, you're good. Like if somebody asks you like, what's an electron? Like you maybe don't need to make notes and mm -hmm. like build review sheets. Like if you can, without having done that yet, if you can explain this um, in lay terms, then you're probably fine and kind of skip yeah. over that. Um, a lot of times I'll have students ask me like, how do I need to like, how long should I be spending on each section and chapter? I'm like, well, it depends on how comfortable you are with it. If you are less comfortable, put more time in it. Um, make review guides, make study sheets, make those things. But if it's something that you're pretty comfortable with, then you can explain it to like just a random person on the street. You don't need to do that. And so being able to kind of adjust that. I do want to kind of mention though, there's there's something known as uh, multimodal encoding which is using kind of MCAT terminology there. Encoding yeah. is like forming long-term memories. Um, and so it turns out that like there's experiments that show that when you read something out loud, it will stick with you better than if you read it silently. Um, and that's because you're able to create memories, not just of like what the words are that you're reading, but also memories of saying it and memories of hearing it. And those are actually different types of memories. And your brain can tie all of those together. So it turns out that if you can kind of like mix different like details and facets into this, it will help you kind of retain things. I would do the same thing with um, kind of like color coding stuff. I found that really useful for myself personally. But anytime I wrote about anything in the sympathetic system, I'd write it in red. And anytime I wrote about the parasympathetic, it was blue. And that just made sense to me because rest and digest is calm. So that's blue. <laughs> Like fight or flight, that's like blood and action and like that sort of thing. So that's red. Um, and so there, were, there would be times where I would have a question on something and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't remember if that's sympathetic or parasympathetic. But then I would rem remember, I remember seeing that word in blue and I'm like, oh, that's parasympathetic. And so I was able to kind of like, like create these more complex compound memories and my study guides were even more useful because of the like the color coding facet of that. Um, but there is something to this. I honestly, this this like saying something out loud and explaining it to others was the best way for me to learn an undergrad. Um, and when I got to med school, that kind of became harder because there's so much stuff and nobody has like lots of free time to like go through stuff. But um, later on. I like after that first semester, I switched back to that um, and I would create study groups. I'm like, OK, you have this topic. I have this topic. Let's study for an hour and then we'll get together and explain it to each other. Um, and if like that's something that helped me because one, it made me accountable um, where it's like I have to explain this to somebody else. And like if I if I don't learn it well, like that hurts me. And I don't mean I'm, it's not that I'm OK with getting bad scores, but I am definitely not okay making somebody else have a bad score. And so like having that like added pressure on me of like, I need to learn this and explain this well so that they can do well. Like that's something that actually motivated me way more than just for myself, but that might be like a personal thing. <laughs> um, but like going through this, like that actually helped me quite a bit and like, like physically explaining things out loud. And to be honest, <laughs> that is 100% the reason I have the job that I have today, which is explaining <laughs> things, is because I like explaining things and that helped me learn. And so it got me passionate about the learning and then passionate about the explaining. And that's what snowballed into like an entire career, which is not what I thought I was going to be doing. I figured I'd be <laughs> doing like research in a lab nonstop and like taking tissue samples and, and things like that. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. it's kind of weird um, that that worked so well for me and it became fun. And and if you can make your studying interesting and engaging to you, that makes it way better um, and makes it easier to stay motivated and on top of things. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this and this is not something that you can only do with other people. I had a student yeah. who um, would talk to their stuffed animals. Another one who put um, up a sticky, I think of it, I think it was of a stick figure. Um, like, 
on the wall and would like talk to the stick figure. So it doesn't have to be to another live human being. Pets, I've heard people say that they talk to their pets. Mm -hmm. Totally viable option, right? It's the act of saying it out loud, of hearing it, of hearing yourself and figuring out, okay, um, not just how comfortable am I with the topic, right? But how well do I actually understand it? Which is what you were getting at, Phil. And this is something I know we've talked about on the podcast before. It's not just whether or not you like a topic. It's how do you do on that topic that matters even more, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is really going to hold you accountable. And even when you know a topic really well, it, talking through it out loud can still be helpful to reinforce the material and use it in different ways. So let's right. say that you are part of a study group right now. If someone has questions on something you're confident in, you can still totally respond, right? That's right. helpful to them and still helpful to you. Um, and so that's something to think about when you're when you're walking through um, through this. Yeah, yeah. That ability to like have that interaction where somebody would ask me something like, "Ooh." I actually don't know. And like, oh, I didn't even realize I had that gap. Mm -hmm. And now I do. And so like that really helped. I also really like the idea of like trying to explain fluid dynamics to my dog. Um, <laughs> like that, just that idea makes me very happy. Um, but like those are things that I honestly, I can't um, endorse strong enough. Because um, for me personally, that was that was also like a big thing that kind of moved the line. Um, and I, I know we kind of talked about like this, but I just kind of want to reiterate, right? Like taking notes, color coding, organizing this information, creating my own tables, making those review guides, uh, making my own notes instead of like using somebody else's and then getting together to kind of explain that to each other. Like all of those things like amazingly moved my ability to learn more in less time, where instead of eight hours, I was spending four hours and I was doing way better. Um, and so I'm I'm really passionate about this. And so like I can't endorse this stuff enough um, because honestly, I was in a point where I was like waking up at two in the morning to study for three more hours. And like, just because mm -hmm. I felt like this is the only way for me to do it. And turns out it was possible to do it and also have fun while doing it. And so if you can do that, that's that's incredibly useful. Um, there is something that we haven't talked about that is probably the one active thing that I think every MCAT student does. Um, not we everyone should. does all of these things. <laughs> but if, if you're not doing this, this is a problem. But that's practice questions because those are active because it's forcing you to stop and think about how to use this because the questions are not like, what was on that flashcard you looked at on Tuesday? Like it's, like, no, what, which of these is an ex example of schizoid personality disorder? And like, there's scenarios and you have to think actively about that. So practice questions, full-length exams, those are especially useful. Those are also active. So that's why it's useful to do practice questions. That's why like in the course, after we have a lecture on electrochemistry, we're giving you questions because that's forcing you to think about like, how do I, how do I use this information? And that's going to stick a whole lot better. Absolutely. Um, the review of that is also insanely important. Yeah. And I would argue for some sections, especially cars, it is more important than actually doing the yeah. questions because with cars in particular, it's just strategy. You don't have content to fall back on. And so if you just do more without pausing and really reviewing and understanding why you're missing questions, why you're not understanding things in passages, that is a quick speed express lane to reinforcing bad habits and plateaus, right? And not yeah. seeing that score increase. Um, really quick on a car's note, make sure that you are not reading out loud as time continues. Um, you do not want to get your exam voided. And yeah. again, cars, the moment you are doing a practice passage, you are reinforcing those strategies for test day. So if you get into the habit of reading out loud, you might accidentally start reading out loud on test day. So consciously, yes, exactly. So be very careful <laughs> with yeah. with that. Again, just because cars, you're not. I, I still say like studying, but it's not true studying, right? It's practice, practice. It's mimicking text test test day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so just be really mindful of how you're approaching cars. A lot of these things can still apply to cars they will not apply in the same way. And that is okay, right? So with flashcards, really the one time you would use flashcards is something like vocab. And even then you don't need the world's 
most massive, you know, vocab uh, vocabulary for cars to do well. This is often for folks that English is not their first language and that they have less experience with um, kind of higher ed, college, undergrad, post-bac experience um, because they haven't seen this type of writing as much. Or if someone is, you know, not familiar and has trouble with the basic grammar, this is a great place to start. Um, videos are helpful for talking about strategy and breaking down passages, which is something we do plenty of in the course, but you're not really learning content, right? You're learning strategy there. Um, and then highlighting, if you have ever, ever attended a free trial session with me for, for cars, you know how we feel about highlighting, um, highlighting for cars, you have one color, we're not going to have you go back. So it's (laughs) just kind of a combination of passive and not going back. So you're not really going to use it. So we have other forms of staying um, engaged. And then the talking out loud, we talked about being cautious with that. So cars, these things apply just a little bit tweet. Um, And the last kind of thing we already talked about, we're planning on talking about was study groups. Um, They're really great for practicing, for working together, for building off of each other's strengths, for turning those weaknesses into strengths. I'm a very big believer that a weakness is just a strength you haven't cultivated yet. And they're also really great for accountability, making sure that you get things done, right? Because if you're in a study group and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I didn't actually do that. You're not just letting yourself down. You're also letting your study group members down. And even if you're not coming together to talk through material out loud, having folks that you're telling, yeah, I I did the daily cars passage. Woo, let's do this, right? We all do the daily cars passage day one done can be really helpful. Um, and this is not limited to other people studying for the MCAT. You can have accountability partners outside of the pre-med sphere. I have a friend um, who right now she's working on her PhD while I'm working on um, the MPH and we hold each other accountable for other things that we need to do. Um, and so I'm not doing a PhD. She's not doing a master's in public health, but we're still each other's accountability partners and we still study together. Um, I had a really weird, I still had a med school exam that I had to take not that long ago. And we were on the phone and we were practicing together. It's something that helped her with another exam that she's taking and helped me in this one. And so there's some overlap. My mother, <laughs> God bless yeah. my mother. She puts up with so much. Mm-hmm. Um, she's someone that I can practice talking out loud to. Does she understand most of what I'm talking about? Now she does because she's listened to me talk about it so many times, but not at first. And that was okay. She was willing to just listen. Um, I would send her a study guide if she had the time, a review sheet, so she could take a look at it while I talked to her. Otherwise, I would just talk to her on her way to work. Um, And so there are different ways. She helps hold me accountable, right? So you can have people from all different parts of your life help you with this. Um, If they're willing to put in just a little bit of time um it's it can be a huge help the the accountability is very useful um the like it helps you be more active kind of like talking through stuff but for me like one of my favorite parts of studying group is that it makes it more fun Mm -hmm. and when it is interesting and engaging and you're having a good time um it helps you keep doing it. It helps you do it for longer. So instead of being exhausted after doing this for an hour, like you're kind of like, "Mm, we went for two hours. You want to go for another 30 minutes? And I know that that sounds crazy (laughs) to some people. Um, But there are times where that that's kind of happened to me in med school, where the people I studied with, I was able to like really kind of like push. Um, And it's, it's strange, but like those people are some of my best friends today. Like um, people I still like, even though we're spread all across the country from Philly to Texas to San Francisco, um, we still kind of get together and we still um, kind of like travel to see each other and and things like that. And and it's really built off of those like those like weird little jokes and things that happened while we were studying. Um, and so making it more fun is also incredibly useful. And so even if you feel like, oh, I'm getting together with them and I didn't get through quite as much as we wanted to. And I think I could have got through more on on my own. Um, Don't get me wrong. Like in some cases, like if you got through nothing when you got together with your friends for four hours, that's a problem. (laughs) Um, But um, you may be surprised that even though like you weren't the most efficient, that information might stick way better. Um, And you may be um, able to study for longer and stay motivated kind of going through stuff. 
um, because that that is also a big game changer. Um, that's also I we're getting into some meta things here. Um, but if you can make learning this stuff more fun, then that really helps um, kind of staying on top of it. That's not an active versus a passive thing necessarily, but um, it's something I really strongly believe in. Like learning doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be painful. There are times like learning stuff has been painful. And a lot of times it's because of the way stuff was presented. And it's just like, this is the most boring thing in the world. But all of a sudden, when they're talking about like, oh, what's going on with the like the four fundamental forces of the universe? And like, let's list through all of these. That sounds boring. All of a sudden, you're talking about atom bombs and like hydrogen bombs. And like, that's this is kind of cool and kind of interesting. And it's more engaging. Um, and so I believe very strongly that learning, if you can make it fun, it will be better and you will learn more. And that is a really strong thing I believe in, not just in studying on your own, which is useful, but also in like the course materials. If you're in like the the Jack Weston course, like I, I try to make it fun and like adding jokes. And I believe in edutainment, um, which is educating and entertaining at the same time. Um, if you guys have any like thoughts or questions, actually, I would really love if any of you guys wanted to comment on stuff that you felt was a way that you were able to learn actively that some maybe something that we missed because i know that there are other ways to to go about things and kind of learning in an active way absolutely and i know like you mentioned phil you work really hard in the course to make uh make learning fun and so i'm sure our students really appreciate that um, as a reminder since the day to start registering for the mcat is coming up very yeah. soon. And you might be wondering, when should I be testing? What resources should I be using? As always, our academic advisors are available for a um, complimentary free 30-minute meeting to chat with you about when it makes sense to test, what materials it would make sense um, for you to use. We get questions all the time about how much people should be studying at any given week. And again, we talked a little bit about that um, during during the prior podcast episode. But yeah. you're welcome to meet with an academic advisor, chat with them. And if you're interested in the course, um, they can set you up with a five-day free trial of the course to check it out, both cars and science, um, to see what it's about and to get some some fun learning of the sciences with Bill. 